Today on Go Truck Yourself, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 19, Truck versus the Murderer. Okay, I'm ready to make a guess. Based on my notes, it was Colonel Casey in the orange-orange with the lead pipe. All right, I'm going to open the envelope now in the center of the board. Were you close? Sort of. It was Fernando with the ice pick in underpants, etc. that we started this episode with the implication that uh, when one person is ready to make a guess when playing the board game Clue, it kind of ends the game regardless if you say <laughs> what the right answer was. Uh, my name is Chris Gillespie, uh, ruining today's game of Clue for you. My name is Erin Arana. I um, haven't played Clue in probably like 12 years, so I honestly don't remember how it works. You could have said anything. I could have. I When I was saying my lines, it seemed like you were there was... I was kind of getting a dead glare back <laughs> as if I was speaking a different language or something that you had no idea what I was saying. So I really liked Miss Scarlet. I feel like she was like my my go to character, um, mm -hmm. probably because she's like she was pretty. Um, but I did also really like Colonel Mustard, I think, because I delighted in the fact that even though it is spelled like colonel, it was pronounced colonel. I never really understood that. I think clue is probably a lot of people's entryway into the word colonel and uh, <laughs> not knowing what it how to say it i was a professor plum guy myself all right I that like, makes sense i like the shade of purple um i think whatever the mr green guy you know green i think it's a solid color but mm -hmm. mr green himself didn't really seem he's kind of balding like kind of seemed a little mean i honestly don't remember mr green there was so there was miss scarlet mrs was there like mrs white yeah she was the maid okay there were, but there was another woman right yeah there was uh miss peacock she was ah, blue. she was okay. She was cool. Yeah, she's that, that's actually Mrs. Peacock. I know you have trouble oh, with sorry. Miss, Ms., and Mrs., but that's Mrs. Peacock. Well, do you want to explain it? I understand the difference between Miss and Mrs., but I'm conf where Ms. gets involved. I'm like, what's going on with that? It's just like unspecified. It's just like that's it is someone that's all who it is? so someone who chooses a female coded um, identifier, yeah. but is not indicating whether she is married. Or not married. That's it. That's it. That's that's how I was taught. I, there could be more nuances. Oh. Okay, that's yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. What I think about this, like, I just would really like a Chuck themed clue game. Think that, about how okay. cool that would be. Okay, that's amazing. <laughs> you All right. Have... I mean, Sarah would obviously be the Miss Scarlet. Yeah. Beckman would be. Would Beckman be the Mrs. Peacock, or would Beckman be the Mrs. White? Um, or maybe, would she be, well, Colonel, it would obviously be Colonel Casey. Yeah, he's got to be, yeah. Would Chuck be more of a plum or more of a green? I think he's probably more of a plum, and then Morgan would be more of the green. Ah, uh, okay. So, um, oh, and then we would need Ellie. So Ellie would probably be the Mrs. Peacock. Right, And then yeah, Beckman could be the Mrs. White. Uh-huh. But we need a Devin. Is there an orange? Not in the Lord style of Clue. <laughs> The historic, the way that the Bible wrote down the instructions for Clue. I feel like he could be orange. Like, he could be, um, well, he would be Doctor. Is there a Doctor? I don't think so. So he could be, like, Doctor Orange. Okay, we could invent that. Yeah. What 
I guess we also have to figure out who would be murdered, like whose murder they're trying to solve in this board game. I mean, they're obviously trying to solve a murder in this episode of Chuck, uh-huh. but like who would who could feasibly oh, you know who would die would be um shit. What's his face? Emmett. They could be trying to solve Emmett's murder. Oh, that, that yeah, that makes sense. Took place behind the buy more. And I feel like your different rooms for the clue board could be like you'd have buy more sections, but then you uh-huh. also have castle sections and they have sense. the little secret passages that you can get from oh, like, that's really the buy more cool. to mm-hmm. it would be a really good idea. And you could have the orange orange and you could have all these different things. I it kills me that there's not more like Chuck themed, you know, games yeah, there, and there really stuff like be. that. That would it be would, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of, part of me wants to, like, invent it, but then part of me thinks that would be, like, a lot of work and not a lot of returns at this point. <laughs> kind of like this podcast. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> we joked. Did you have to, like, in school, did you have to make, like, board games for projects? I feel yeah, like I had course. to do that a lot. That's um, why. <laughs> we did it once. The one that, like, comes immediately to mind was, I would say, ninth grade. We did a board game about, like, drug addiction for um, health class. Was it like shoots and ladders? Except you're shooting heroin instead of. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, kind of. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we did that a lot. I, it kind of gives you this false idea, like as a teenager or as a kid, that when you're an adult, that you're going to be tasked with making a lot of different <laughs> board games based off of, say, I mean, geography. Some or... people, some people do end up doing that if they work for a board game company. But certainly not enough to warrant everyone being <laughs> trained in how to make a board game. <laughs> I don't know. It's I. I can see teachers like. It, it like sounds exciting they're just like eh, i don't know just make a board game it's a fun way of engaging with something i guess yeah so maybe uh maybe we'll make chuck theme clue maybe we won't maybe make uh chuck theme monopoly I think would also be a good idea i know we've i've maybe I think talked we about that before I, think I, I mean chuck themed roller coaster tycoon i think you brought up in the last episode or not chuck theme but just roller coaster tycoon in general you could have chuck and jill ride the uh ferris wheel and get to the top of the ferris wheel and uh share their kiss we actually okay we haven't actually talked about this yet do you want to talk about the um the fact that i've been watching the oc i know you want to talk about the fact that you've been watching the oc josh schwartz's other child josh schwartz's other child of which he has many it's not his only other child but i do believe it is one of the first (laughs) he gets around yeah um there is for people who have not watched both i just wanted to say here that there is a scene in the oc where the main character who is afraid of heights goes on a Ferris wheel at a carnival with the love interest and is very afraid. So she kisses him in order to distract him from his fear. Um, Sounds probably a little familiar to Chuck fans. I was surprised. If that appears both in the OC and in Chuck, does that Uh, mean that we can deduce that uh, Josh Schwartz himself has a fear (laughs) of heights and was kissed on a Ferris wheel? I mean, that makes sense. Either that happened to him or he just thought it would be a cute idea twice. Mm. Um, but I like to think that it, it is something that happened with him and his, his Mrs. Shorts. They, they didn't have to get married. Who says they have to get the government involved if they're uh, kissing on a Ferris wheel? Okay, sure. Yeah. He's got a lot of kids. Um, so that's all I'm saying. He gets his, around. All right. His wife is named Jill Stonerock. So I'm sorry. Her, her name is not Jill Schwartz. Ooh, she had wow. a beautiful wedding dress. Ooh, this is a really nice wedding. They are so cute. This is so cute. He was so cute when he was younger. That's this. Oh my god! This isn't a podcast about Josh Schwartz's marriage and wedding. This is a podcast about Chuck. Focus. He looks like um like Jim Sturgis kind of. He looks kind of like a beetle. Hello, I'm Josh Schwartz. We all live in the Orange County. The Orange <laughs> County. 
the Orange County. All right, so that's beautiful, but um, we should probably get talking about this murder. There were oranges right next door. In Chuck versus the murder, we get right into it. Three U's. What? Three U's in murder this week. Murder. Murder. What is that that from? There's something where it's like murder. I don't know what it's probably from, like a YouTube video or something. Oh. we get right into it with Ellie hard at work on Steven's computer. Apparently, she's been up all night again because Devin comes downstairs and Ellie doesn't even realize it's morning. She says that she doesn't even feel tired. Devin is a little nervous about all this, but Ellie is full of vigor, saying she's never seen anything like her father's neurological research. And she ends with that time-tested classic curse, what's the worst that could happen? One of the potential worst things is the fact that director Jane Bentley is watching Ellie work from a bug she apparently planted on the computer. Uh-oh. The A-plot for the A-team plus Bentley this week involves Chuck, who you may remember is now in charge of the Intersect Project, and he is going to be interviewing and testing potential agents and deciding who will replace the Gretas as Chuck 2.0, or 1.0, or 0.0, like whatever the new Intersect is called, Chuck is going to decide who gets it. So Beckman puts, um, Beckman has put Chuck in charge of this because she says the intersect works best in him, so it stands to reason that someone like him, who he picks, will also be receptive to it. I feel like it's a little more likely that Chuck has some sort of Bartowski brain quirks because, um, Steven invented the intersect, so maybe he had, like, his own brain or his family's brain in mind, so maybe another Bartowski would be a little more receptive than just someone off the street, but I digress. Chuck is in charge of finding more Chucks. Once Beckman hangs up, Chuck talks to his team. He's excited to be their leader, but he's a little nervous. Casey, Sarah, and Morgan are supportive, but Bentley is totally unenthused, saying she'll be back in charge soon once Chuck screws things up. Chuck is briefly reminded of a failure the last time he tried to lead as part of a D&D campaign, but he shakes off the nerves and pulls up the candidate files that Langley sent. We're treated to a montage in which we meet Lewis, a nerdy British gun expert, Josie, a psyops woman, Damien, a Muslim-coded man who the CIA keeps sending into terrorist cells, and Brody, who is basically Chuck. It's not played by Adam Brody, though, which was a disappointment to me, I would say. Who's, who's from the OC. Yes, yeah. So Adam we can Brody suspect the that there's a connection here, perhaps, maybe, that they named the character. Yes, that, after... that was my thought. Because he kind of looks like him, right? Um, I mean, like, Chuck looks more like him, and this guy kind of looks like Chuck, so I guess kind of. Okay. So here begins something that we're going to have to talk about, and I think it's best that we start talking about it now. Damien is played by Musa Kreish, who is a Palestinian-American actor known for things like Munich, Superbad, and American Gods. Although later in the episode, they've written in a punchline where he says he's actually Greek. This is a person of color. It is an actor of color. I like to think that this episode had the best of intentions in terms of like addressing Islamophobia, but based on the way it's played for laughs and what eventually happens later, it's... I'm going to just say pretty disgusting how when Damien walks into the buy where everyone, like, customers, employees just start running and screaming as if he is a terrorist. That's not great. Not, I would even say, not good. Very bad. Made me say, are you serious, Chuck? So I, I don't know that Josh Schwartz was specifically responsible for this, but whoever was responsible for this, really bad. And we'll talk about it more later. So after that debacle, Chuck hands out rolls, Casey will handle physical testing, Sarah will handle psychological testing, Morgan will be evaluating culture, asking the candidates about video games and Rush and stuff. 
All of the candidates do their best to varying degrees of success. Josie is probably the least Chuck-like, saying that nothing they're asking her matters at all. Bentley likes her. Obviously, Brody is the favorite because he's the most like Chuck. He gives a very Chuck-like answer to his psychological evaluation. More impressively, though, Morgan asks whether Grant Morrison or Moore Gibbons are most important to the history of graphic novels. Brody says that his preference is for Brian Vaughn. So I uh, paused this scene, I rewinded it, and I turned around to Seth and I said, Seth, what, what are your thoughts on this? And Seth said, Jesus Christ. So that was good. He also, um, he said he might agree about Vaughn if he gets off his ass and finishes Saga. So <laughs> maybe this means something to you. Maybe it doesn't. But that's, um, that's our little comic corner with Seth. Chuck agrees with Brody's sentiment and says that he has always secretly felt that way. So eventually Chuck calls his team in to tell them he's made a decision. He asks for their input first, but all he gets is that Bentley thinks he's going to screw it up leading him to decide she's his nemesis, something he's none too sure about. Chuck declares that he's picked Brody to be the new intersect. We cut to Brody walking down one of Castle's many mysterious hallways. He sees something we don't and says, what are you doing? Then he's stabbed and dies. Too bad. Brody, we we only had you for a short time, but you, uh, you were. We're, were, were fond. We remember you in our hearts. It was, uh, I'm I'm gonna it's gonna sound heartless, but I was uh, pretty glad that he wasn't in the entire episode because I thought he was really annoying in yeah, the that's, snippet that we had, that which is, I couldn't tell was like if that was intentional because they're like ah uh, the one that's gonna be you know basically Chuck Junior is gonna be the most annoying uh-huh. or if they didn't mean for him to be annoying, but I was I guess not heartbroken when he died, although it was pretty graphic when he had that huge like steak knife stuck into yeah, his chest mm-hmm. and it was slid down the hallway. Ah, oh, too bad. Too bad, Brody. So after the credits, we return to the Bymore for something called Big BM Day. Apparently the store is selling some kind of new flat screen and is locked in fierce competition with Large Mart over who can get more sales. Big Mike is excited to be wearing this large sort of box over his, like, he's kind of wearing like a, a morph suit and then like a box that has a big BM for Bymore on it. And the show just honestly loves this joke. They just keep saying BM. They keep saying number two. It's... It's just nothing but laughs. It took us a very long time to actually get to this joke. I'm surprised that they're just now tapping into this joke. It is. It is actually surprising that it's not a well that they have come back to many, many times, but they're making up for lost time now. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Morgan is a little reluctant about the big BM, but Big Mike... Oh, it... I mean, Big Mike is also BM. We've never talked about that either. I don't think they even talked about that in this episode. But that's his initials. I think we've talked about Big Mike's initials being the same as the Bymore. I've certainly thought that many times. If I haven't articulated that, then I failed you as a, a co-host. <laughs> Maybe we've talked about it, I'm sorry, but I just realized it now. Big Mike encourages his son-in-law to have fun with Big BM Day, and then is immediately kidnapped by a white van full of Large Mart employees. <laughs> you re- you recounting that scene is, I'm finding, is to be funnier than the actual scene itself. <laughs> Thank you. So apparently, even though Chuck made his decision, all the candidates are just still hanging around in Castle. It's a little bit, I don't know, I guess they just had to stay there for a week. I don't really know what's going on. But Chuck runs into them all in the main room and asks where Brody is, because Brody is nowhere to be found. And that leads all the candidates to know that he made his choice. As Chuck goes looking for Brody, Devin calls to say that Ellie has been working on Steven's computer. He says that a woman brought it over and said the Bymore gave it to her, which Chuck and Devin obviously know is a lie. 
Devin didn't think Ellie would find anything, but apparently she's making progress. Chuck wants to stop whatever Ellie's doing in its tracks, but Devin says Ellie is actually happy and is starting to feel closer to Steven. Chuck is a little torn, but he ultimately decides that Devin should replace the computer's hard drive with a blank one, so Ellie thinks it broke again. Then Chuck confronts Bentley about giving Ellie the computer, and Bentley just doesn't really deny it. She's just kind of like, yep, I did that, because she doesn't respect him. While they're talking, Chuck slips and falls, and they discover a pool of blood leading them to Brody's body. Bentley is cool and collected about all this and says, well, there goes your first choice. Lewis strolls in and is less calm and collected and says, there's been a murder! Back in the Bymore, we learn that not only is there currently competition between Large Martin and Bymore, there's a prank war going on. It's been on a bit of a hiatus, but Big Mike's kidnapping was apparently retaliation for the kidnapping of the Large Mart's mascot, Kevin Bacon. You might think that this is actually the actor Kevin Bacon, or you might think that it's some sort of um, Bacon-related costume, but you don't have long to wait to find out. Morgan asks all the employees what they know about this and catches Jeff and Lester snickering. They lead him to a supply closet, and we find out that Kevin Bacon is a pig. In fact, he's a little teacup pig that the Large Mart put a little cape on and use um, in their promotional activities. So, that was... We, we've talked in the last episode, we've talked before, Chuck doesn't have a lot of animals. Um, I would say Kevin Bacon gets a little more to do than Yana in the last episode. Um, and he's very cute. He is great cute. Little, great little actor. He's a, he's a very little pig uh, in, a, in a very big store with a big <laughs> BM. And uh, <laughs> he's got his little cape thing going on. He's cute. He's a good, he's a good guy. I'm surprised more retailers don't have uh, baby animals as their mascots to draw people in. How, I like, agree. People, how often would you go to a store if you're like, I get to go hang out with a little baby piglet if I go to, to Big Lots or whatever? Sometimes my local Walmart would have like a like horses in the parking lot, like a like a little petting zoo. You could just go in and like ride the horses. But I guess they were ponies. They weren't really horses. But that was cool. It made us go to Walmart sometimes. Down in Castle, Chuck can't believe Brody is dead. The team deduces that Castle was locked down for the interviews, I guess, so the killer is someone who is currently there. Casey takes all the candidates and Bentley's guns. Chuck is overwhelmed. It's like D&D all over again, but Sarah reassures him that he'll be able to figure it out. Chuck takes charge and says that all cell phone use is blocked. With everyone locked in Castle, Chuck explains to everyone that nobody's leaving until they figure out who murdered Chuck Jr., uh, now would be a good time to mention that I refer to Brody as Chuck Jr. throughout okay. the duration of my notes. To totally fine. Uh, so that is how that is going. Bentley and all of the new recruits, uh, or the ones that are still alive, that is. Uh, also, I think that's a good, a, a really good band name would be Bentley and the New Recruits. Oh, I like that. Yes. Uh, it sounds really solid. Uh, they asked Chuck why Casey and Sarah are above being suspects in this mystery. And Chuck explains that he trusts Sarah and Casey not to kill people who don't deserve it. The new recruits then turn towards, uh, well, I guess they don't really turn towards anything. They turn towards Damien and uh, rely on their racial bias to decide that the tan Middle Eastern looking man with the beard must be responsible for this act of violence. Uh, Damien is rightfully offended by this and explains that he served his country honorably overseas for years in the very tough terrain of the desert. And also he's not Middle Eastern, he's Greek. Damien makes to exit castle and Chuck follows him. And as Damien opens the door, a bomb is triggered and eventually detonates, throwing Damien to the ground and blowing out castle's electricity. We cut to a commercial and when we come back, the group is helping bandage Damien's leg that has had its skin ripped off in the explosion. 
Casey succeeds in turning the emergency lights on, but with the main power line or the main power grid offline, they're all trapped inside castle with, without any kind of communications or support. Oh, and there's a murderer on the loose. Apparently, <laughs> despite the perilous situation, Sarah reminds Chuck that he's in charge and that he needs to demonstrate strong leadership and confidence. He doesn't really do a great job as the new recruits continue to misbehave. Lewis specifically has some kind of beef with Casey and vice versa. And we discover that Lewis only developed his accent from being in England for four months in college <laughs> um, while studying abroad. And and everybody's just not having it. They're just really over it. Back at the Bymore, the Bymore mob family is meeting with the Large Mart mob family, trying to work out a resolution to their prank war. The Large Mart boss asks for Kevin Bacon, but Morgan wants proof that Big Mike is safe before he considers handing over the piglet. The Large Mart boss lets Morgan talk to Big Mike on the phone, and Big Mike is, well, living his best life. He's <laughs> eating a Subway sandwich and is completely safe, and he's not working. He tells Morgan to never surrender. Big Mike says that he's eating this new Subway breakfast sandwich with Southwest sauce, which is so spicy, it reminds Big Mike of Morgan's mother, Bologna. Morgan hasn't had enough of this, so he agrees to hand Kevin Bacon over. We cut to Morgan opening Kevin Bacon's closet, and surprise, Kevin Bacon, nowhere to be found. Morgan blames no. Jeff Lester and says that he just needs 24 hours to find the pig, to which the Large Mart boss says that if Morgan doesn't deliver, he's going to find a big flaming BM on his doorstep, because apparently we're just going to ride this joke into the ground. <laughs> uh, I wish that was the last of that joke, but it is coming Not back. even close. Much like my experience in my life, the BMs just keep coming. <laughs> At Ellie and Devin's apartment, Devin is, whether I like it or not, they just always, <laughs> I can't make them stop. At Ellie and Devin's apartment, Devin is working on replacing the hard drive in Steven's laptop, which is something that I can relate to as someone who has spent some time recently swapping out the hard drives in my PlayStation 4s. Yes, I realize I just said the phrase, my PlayStation 4s, plural. <laughs> I'm not accepting questions at this time. Don't worry about it. Just know that I've had a screwdriver and I've used that screwdriver to open up electronics and I felt really good about myself and like I was a genius for being able to do that, even though you could train a monkey to do it. <laughs> uh, I, I felt very proud of myself. It's cool to open something up like that. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for your support. Devin, likewise, uh, is, is I guess, having a good time uh, removing the hard drive when Ellie arrives home early with baby Clara. Ellie says that she's had an epiphany. Stephen was trying to figure out a way to input knowledge into the human brain without the individual having to learn the knowledge. Ellie says she feels like she was meant to crack this but doesn't know why and wishes she could just talk to Stephen one more time. Devin, moved by this, puts the blank hard drive back into his pocket. Back oh, is that what happened? I wasn't really sure. So this isn't really clear. We don't know. Devin puts a hard drive into his pocket. We don't know if it's the blank hard drive or it's the like actual hard drive. I interpreted it to be that it was the blank one and that he's stopping trying to, like, destroy the computer. Okay, that makes but sense. I mean, that I could, seems emotionally um, related. We could also go the other way of him putting, like, following through on the mission. Yeah. And so, I have no idea. Do you think that Ellie, like, I don't know if this has been brought up, so I'm sorry if it has already, but does Ellie know about the intersect? Like, has that been explained? Because it seems like she's surprised by Steven's work, but it all just seems very in line with the intersect. It seems that she does not know anything about the intersect, okay. which I think would make sense because although she knows that Chuck was a spy and working for the CIA, I don't think the intersect was ever brought up. Okay. 
It seems like something that they probably should have told her, but fine, whatever. But this was, a, I think, a normal thing to be wondering in this scene was kind of like, <laughs> wait a second, does Ellie not know about the intersect? Because I guess we were all just kind of taking for granted that she knew about it. Yeah. And the writers are like, ha, just kidding. She doesn't know about <laughs> it. We never said that she knew about it. Let's uh, get some drama out of this. Back in Castle, Chuck and Sarah have started their interrogations of the new recruits in Bentley. Bentley is obviously suspect number one because of her attitude. Chuck lists all of the signs that point to Bentley as the number one suspect, including that she was the only one who knew that he was going to pick Chuck Jr. to be the new intersect, to which Bentley says that everybody knew that because Chuck Jr. made Chuck light up like a 13-year-old girl, <laughs> to which Chuck has no comeback because it was true. They talk to Josie, who seems to be trying to disarm Chuck with her emotions, but Sarah's not buying it. Sarah points out that Josie's clearly been hiding something this entire time, to which Josie says that she was just dumped by her boyfriend for being too emotional. Chuck wants to buy this, but Sarah reminds him that Josie is trained in psyops and is probably trying to take advantage of them. Damien is not too happy to talk to Chuck and Sarah since sitting upright is hurting his recently injured leg. Chuck asks why Damien's duffel bag is covered with sand, and Damien reminds him that the CIA will only send him to places covered in sand. Chuck removes a boombox from the bag, you know, just like a huge, yeah, massive... you just you carry know, around with you. A boombox from 1988 that you would keep around with you on spy missions. Uh, Chuck asks what the deal is with the boombox, and Damien points out that the boombox doesn't work because, once again, it is filled with sand. Going through Lewis's bag, Chuck points out that Lewis knew he was the runner-up, so he felt the need to get rid of Chuck Jr. to become number one. Sarah finds a knife belonging to an IRA bomb maker in his bag, which is certainly suspicious, but Lewis says that he just uh, has it because he killed the bomb maker on his way there, and he took it from him. After all of this, Casey pages Chuck and Sarah to ask if they figured out who the killer is. Chuck is discouraged and slides down the side of the wall. Chuck says that all they know is that the killer was just sitting in that chair, but they don't know who it was, to which Sarah doesn't necessarily agree. But then Chuck sees a bomb that someone planted on the bottom of the chair. Chuck and Sarah have enough time to escape the room before the bomb detonates, launching the suspect's chair into the air, covered in flames. Jeff and Lester, meanwhile, are napping in recliners on the Bymore sales floor. Lester asks Jeff if he felt the tremor beneath them, but Jeff says that he hasn't felt anything in years. <laughs> Casey finds Chuck and Sarah after the explosion, telling Sarah that he's glad she's still alive, much to Chuck's offense. Casey brings them back to the rest of the group and tells them that Damien got more shrapnel in his back and that Lewis is nowhere to be found. Since Lewis is the bomb expert after all and is currently missing, the team deduces that he must be the one responsible for the murder and the explosions. After hours at the Buy More, Morgan is pressuring Jeff and Lester to disclose the location of Kevin Bacon. He reminds them that Big Mike could be in real danger if Large Mart stops giving him Subway sandwiches. Lester says that it's a mystery where the pig went, but Morgan insists that it's no mystery because Jeff and Lester clearly know where Kevin Bacon is. Uh, Jeff suggests that this might not be the case. Down in Castle, Damien uh, is unconscious, but he's still alive. Chuck is now more confident than ever that Lewis is the culprit and says that they all need to spread out and try to find him, which will be tricky because Lewis can reportedly make bombs out of anything. Bentley asks Chuck if he's just going to keep talking or if he's going to do something. Chuck then says that he's going to find Lewis and, quote, take the bastard out while cocking his gun. <laughs> it's very un-Chuck-like. I mean, it is. He's really taking his new role as a leader seriously. He doesn't like using real guns, but at the same time, he doesn't, you know, he's used them before. He used it against Shaw, and now he's willing to use it in this case, I guess. That's he true, really and he just, gets angry enough. He gets angry and when he needs to protect, yep. you know, himself or Sarah. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Chuck decided who the teams would be for the search party, and Chuck decided that he and Bentley should should be a pair, uh, which is odd, but he uses the time to ask Bentley to stay away from Ellie. 
Bentley says that Chuck is a bad leader because he's too concerned with what the people think about him. Sarah is paired with Josie, who asks how she and Chuck have been so committed for such a long time. Casey is by himself. Chuck and Bentley hear noise coming from overhead. Apparently, somebody's in the air ducts. Uh-oh. Just maybe it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> the noise in the vent moves above Casey, so Casey says that he's going to take care of it. He aims his gun and tells Lewis not to do anything stupid, at which point Casey opens the latch to the air ducts. He climbs up the ladder and into the ducts and finds not Lewis, not Stone Cold Steve Austin, not Nicole Richie, but Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon? Star of, of Tremors and, <laughs> and Footloose. So we cut to Morgan asking Jeff and Lester why they hid Kevin Bacon in the store's air ducts. Jeff shares his philosophy about letting go of things that you love and eating them in the event that they come back to you. With Lewis still on the loose, tensions rise and Bentley decides that she's going to go hide in the new super secret cool kids corner, uh, which she says is the safest place in Castle. Chuck follows her inside and then sees Ellie on one of the monitors. He asks Bentley what that is. and She says it's none of his concern. They argue back and forth, with, which ultimately culminates with Bentley saying that she's trying to save the Intersect project from Chuck. Bentley then freezes and Chuck realizes that she must see Lewis up in the rafters. Bentley hits a switch on an elevator and Lewis comes down slowly. Uh, he's not moving and he's not making any noise. And wait, yep, he's already dead. Lewis has already been murdered. Therefore, he's probably not the murderer. You would think that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, he could have. Maybe he just was so ashamed that he killed Chuck Jr. that he felt the need to take his own life. No one weird? seems to consider this option uh, because it is wrong. Uh, so... <laughs> I guess they suspect that the killer is still at large. They do. Mart. Chuck and co. have narrowed it down to Josie and Bentley, which is actually kind of funny because, as discussed before, Bentley plays Josie's mother, Mayor McCoy, in the show Riverdale, and also, Whoa. I believe, in um, the other show, the Katie Keene or whatever that show is. Um, Josie... It's adamant that she's not the killer, but mostly she just wants this to be over. Bentley demands that Chuck figure out who the killer really is. Chuck scans through, I guess, his mind palace. He just has, like, black and white memories of everything that has happened. He seems to solve the mystery. Josie immediately reacts to this, and Chuck comments on her volatile emotional state. But he knows she couldn't have done it. In fact, she's only emotional because she's pregnant. Ah, typical women. <laughs> Chuck accuses Bentley and draws her and everyone else to the other side of the room, but actually he just wanted to pull everyone away from the real killer, who's Damien. He's not actually unconscious. He's, I guess he is actually still a little injured in his leg, but he's fine, and he is the killer. Damien stands up and says that they have to let him out of Castle, he opens his boombox, and it turns out it's not a boombox, and it's not covered in sand. It is, in fact, a bomb. We discover that Damien blew himself up before to throw off suspicion, and he used his knowledge of the bomb's placement in order to minimize his injuries, something that Casey's a little bit impressed by. So now the team knows what happened, but not why. Damien says that he came for Chuck, but before he can explain any more, Bentley says that Chuck knows what he has to do. Chuck takes that to mean talk Damien down, but then Bentley just shoots Damien in the arm and the bomb is activated. Chuck rushes over to try to defuse it, but there's nothing in the intersect and he can't figure out exactly what to do. So Bentley says she's going to take matters into her own hands. Specifically, she's going to take the bomb into the uh, cool kids corner, which is bomb proof, and then just detonate it with her inside. She's just gonna do what a leader does. 
She's going to pull up Bruce Willis in Armageddon. Yeah. I was um, a little bit alarmed by this because although it is a nice moment for Bentley's character, it does mean that the show has made the Muslim character the villain and also was about to kill the only black female character in the show. So not not a great episode of Chuck, but in fact, Chuck does rescue Bentley. He hotwires the um, the and the panel that lets you into the cool kids corner and takes her out and then shuts the door again so the bomb can explode on its own. I guess the cool kids corner is no more, but Bentley's safe, so that's good. When the explosion happens, Kevin Bacon is in the vents, apparently near the cool kids corner, and there's a nice little action scene montage of him running on his little teacup pig legs. He flies through one of the vents, there's some great CGI, and he lands right in Chuck's arms. And he's okay, thank god. I was I was worried that they were gonna, like, kill him off. Later on, Beckman commends the team and also Chuck. Chuck says he's only as strong as the team that surrounds him. Beckman puts the Intersect project on hold, since due to this security breach, it's a little too dangerous to give it to someone else. Bentley also is going to get reassigned, so she's going to get sent back to Washington. Chuck compliments Bentley on everything she did to assist the mission, and Beckman makes note of it. After the call, Beckman tells Chuck he's a good spy, and she's sorry for underestimating him. She also says that Ellie is incredibly smart and might be able to figure out the Intersect if only Chuck will let her. Back upstairs at the Bymore, Morgan is planning to break Big Mike out of Large Mark custody when Big Mike returns. Everyone is really happy, especially Skip Johnson, who I don't know if you noticed this, but he has a great beard now. He's looking good. He's, yeah, I wrote that down. Yeah, he looks great. Big Mike explains that his shift was over and he is not about to stay late, so he just broke his way out of there himself. But unfortunately, right outside... Large Mart has been true to their word. They have lit the Big BM on fire and left it on the Bymore's doorstep. Right around this time, Chuck returns with Kevin Bacon. He deduces what must have happened while he was downstairs. He hands Kevin Bacon to Morgan, and Kevin Bacon gives Morgan a parting BM of his own. Everyone heads home to find Devin in the courtyard again. He seems pretty sad. He also seems to have gotten a haircut. I don't know if that was something you noticed, but his hair looks a little shorter. He gives Chuck a hard drive, and they both seem a little torn about it. Chuck assures Devin that it's probably for the best that Ellie be separated from the computer. Devin agrees. But then Devin heads back inside, and we find out it was actually a fake hard drive. Ellie is still hard at work on Steven's findings, and they've decided not to tell Chuck. So I guess they gave him the blank hard drive, and maybe he just won't check it? I, or maybe they made a copy of the hard drive? I don't really know what happened, but Ellie's still going to work on the computer. Chuck thanks his team for being there for him. He says the Intersect is not just him, but all three of them working together. Then Beckman calls. She drops the bomb that Damien was hired to bomb Castle and was hired by Vivian Volkoff. She's trying to kill Chuck now because she is his true nemesis. Oh no! Chuck is sad that he has a real nemesis now. Also, during the scene, I don't know what they're eating, but Chuck is drinking a huge glass of milk. So that was... Interesting. Back across the way, Ellie has fallen asleep in front of Steven's computer. The computer beeps and kind of like a little scanner thing comes out and scans the room. When it gets to Ellie, it says it has identified Agent X. And that's where the episode ends. Well, was it saying that she's Agent X or that like Ellie's face unlocked the Agent X files? The, the X files? Ah, damn it. <laughs> Where's David Duchovny? Is he coming? Because if him and Volkov are on screen at the same time, that would be that would be a lot for me. I would say. Oh, you got you got a crush on him too. Well, I would say I'd say a little crush. He has a band. I think that's cool. 
You think it's cool when actors have bands? Well, I mean, no, I don't think it's cool always, but I think in his may case I, it is cool. May I recommend Jeremy Renner and his uh, musical stylings? <laughs> okay, if you're I'll not check familiar. it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so good. So, yeah, I don't I don't really know. Um, when I read reviews of this episode, people seem to think that it meant that Ellie was Agent X, but it is also possible that it is just uh, making reference to Agent X and giving Ellie information on said agent. So who knows? That was my interpretation of it. Once again, I obviously was confused by a few of the uh, laptop things in this case. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Chuck versus the uh, M-U-U-U-R-D-E-R. Murder. Murder! Murder, she wrote. Murder of crows. Murder. I can't think of another one. What I can think of is Chuck Mary Kill, where we murder something in the kill segment and then marry something in another segment. It's all about what we like and what we don't like. Aaron, what would you like to marry this time? Um, This is going to come as no surprise, but I really like Kevin Bacon. I'm just going to... I'm just gonna have have him any anytime pretty much anytime there's an animal in an episode of Chuck it is uh unsurprisingly going to be my Mary and I thought that Kevin Bacon was good I think it was pretty delightful even though um the CGI was not great it was pretty fun to have Kevin Bacon get the um action hero running away from an explosion moment it was a little bit less absurd than a, than the Renaissance and ESP plot lines while still like intertwining with the a plot so i thought that um kevin bacon as a symbol of all of that i think he was great so i'm gonna gonna marry him marrying a pig it's only a matter of time <laughs> what about you i would like to marry the subway product placement okay i feel like we haven't had one of those in a while mm-hmm. and they they always make me feel warm and gooey inside <laughs> much like subway's all new caramel brownie cookies <laughs> now available at a subway location near you check them out did you hear, I'm I'm sorry I'm borrowing this from my brother and my brother and me, but I know that you are a Subway connoisseur. You have a lot of feelings about Subway. Um, the state of California sued Subway because they say that their tuna is not actually tuna, to which Subway insists that it is tuna. I am waiting for the next episode of My Brother, My Brother and Me to know um, if there is any updates on this case. But were you aware of this? Have you ever had Subway tuna? Is that what you got sick eating? Et cetera, et cetera. No, I've not had tuna from Subway. I have only recently discovered tuna fish, and I've been eating it uh, in the comfort of my own home. <laughs> but uh, that does explain when I logged onto the official Subway website to find out what new product I should feature in my Mary segment. The first pop-up that appears is try our tuna. It's real. Hashtag real tuna. <laughs> okay, good. Good to <laughs> and they know. give you a coupon code to try, like, 15% off a tuna sandwich or something like that. Cool. So, okay. I'm glad that um, this has become enough of an issue that they have to do some uh, damage control. They're fighting back against those uh, those claims. Those, those scoundrel brothers and California. What would you like to kill this week? Um, this is also going to come as no surprise, but I would say the Damien stuff was just um, rough. I think mm. a lot of the things that actually happened in the episode were disappointing when from a race perspective but i also think some of the things that were implied by the episode were very disappointing it is tricky ground to cover when you address islamophobia and how like muslim people aren't all terrorists and try to like Mm. poke fun at the world for reacting to them as such but then also that person turns out to be the villain turns out to be a bomb expert turns out to be evil um not great 
And while they tried to have a joke about how he's actually Greek, it is actually a Palestinian actor. So that is um, not also, I don't know, it, it's bad optics and also just like a upsetting, um, offensive, not politically correct, not good, disappointing. I'm going to keep saying like it, it was like this didn't happen long enough ago for them to have any excuse that they didn't know better. Like, this should have, like, they were making fun of the concept, so obviously they knew the concept existed, and mm -hmm. I was just really hoping that that was not the direction they were going to go in with it, and then they did. And, Chris, what would you kill? Well, my kill's going to uh, probably cause some conflict. Uh, given my particular diet and personal beliefs, I understand the irony of what I'm about to say, but this week... I like to uh, kill the pig. No. He was cute, but I uh, I think this episode thinks that Kevin Bacon is is funnier and more endearing than he actually is. I mean, you obviously like him. I'm obviously a proponent of having animals in Chuck. I thoroughly enjoyed Sasha the Tiger. Um, but now that we've gone two weeks back to back with animal gags, first with the puppy last week and now with the pig, I'm just like, come on, guys. What's... What's the plot of next week's episode going to be like? Chuck having to take care of a chimpanzee. <laughs> I just feel like, yeah, it's so just broad and not not good. I mean, that's fair. It it does kind of feel like they were looking around the Warner Brothers studio and they were like, ah, so there's there's some Renaissance clothes. There's a dog. There's a pig. We'll just like insert those into the space we need to fill. But I I enjoyed it. That's okay. I respect that. I know you also Thank like you. the Babe film, so I know that you're really into. Do you not like actors. Babe? I've never seen Babe. Well, that's we're gonna go Babe yourself next. <laughs> Hosted by two Babes, am I right? Yep. Speaking of Babes. Speaking of uh, fried meat products, oh, we're gonna be talking about the corn dogs and the scooter scale, where we're going to take zero through five corn dogs and assign a corn dog value to this episode based on how much we liked it or didn't like it. Aaron, how many corn dogs would you give this episode? So I'm going to give this episode a 2.5, mm. um, which is actually like, that's pretty much literally middle of the road. It's actually a pretty high score now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but I thought that um, we haven't really had a lot of mystery episodes of Chuck. And I mm -hmm. thought that it was a bold move of them to try. I'm surprised it hasn't happened already, but I think it relates to if they wanted to have an episode where Chuck was a leader. Um, I understand why they went in this direction. I liked the fact that the Buy More plot intersected with the like spy plot of the episode. Um, that, is, that is something that hasn't so overtly happened in a while. Um, and then I also liked... Um, Ellie and Awesome's plotline, I thought it was very, I was genuinely surprised when Devin and Ellie went behind Chuck's back. That is not something that has happened historically. Usually it's either Chuck and Devin or just Chuck going behind Ellie's back, but now it is um, Ellie and Devin, so that's intriguing. But I thought that the actual way that the episode was handled was not really um, that engaging. It was, um, it just seems like this this back half of the season, they're they're struggling a little bit. Um, it's weird, like the intersect that they're like that they're still on this, like they're trying to make another one and it doesn't work, and that just seems like 
well-tread territory. I thought it was kind of interesting, like how they're trying to find a new Chuck, but I thought that I, I would have thought, and maybe this would have been far too annoying to like be a thing, but it would have made more sense to me if they had like all Chuck juniors and it was all people who looked like who mm-hmm. looked and acted like Chuck, even if there were some like female people and people of color and stuff like in there, like if there were all miniature Chucks and then like, I guess they could still do the murder plotline or they could have it be one of the reviews I read suggested that they like have this be its own episode where Chuck has to be like a leader and like interact with these like Chuck Jr. types. And then in mm-hmm. the next episode, like one of them gets murdered. Like, I don't know if I want two episodes of that, but I think it would be a little bit more interesting. Like these just seemed like the types of people that we have been seeing in Chuck characters. There wasn't really anything new about it other than the murder plotline and the murder wasn't all that like surprising. There weren't really twists and turns and they didn't really even lean into like the fact that it was kind of like a game of clue or like a murder mystery or like a murder on the Orient Express or anything. It was just kind of like the expected beats. So Mm -hmm. I found this episode to be a little bit disappointing and I give it, the score that I do for the parts of it that I liked, but mostly it's not one that I'm going to want to think about in the future. Well, I would, I obviously respect your score, but I also want you to know it's a safe space to bring it down a bit because okay. I'm giving this episode a two out of five. Wow. If you would like to go down to two, you can. If you want to stay at 2.5, that's fine. Um, all right, I'll come down to two. Okay. Me, it just seems I'll like that's either. what you, yeah, it seemed yeah. like you were not, uh, you were just waiting for a uh, validation <laughs> that, was, that that was yeah. okay to do that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a long time since I've scored that low. Yeah, same. When I started watching this episode, I thought to myself, wow, I truly do not remember this episode at all. And once I finished the episode, I realized why. <laughs> I do not think this is a particularly strong episode of Chuck. It was disappointing because on paper, I feel like this episode tries really hard to be suspenseful and funny, but everything just kind of falls flat. Yeah. The whole Kevin Bacon thing felt like a jumping the shark moment for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it, and the God, the BM joke was beat over the head <laughs> far too many times. I thought it was funny, like the first time where it was mm. like, it's big BM day. Oh, it feels so good after like big BM day. Yeah. And if they just left it at that, I would have loved it and been like, that's great. But then they just beat it over the head so many times where I was like, okay, guys, we get it. It's it's not funny. I think to your point about the Chuck Juniors and everything and how I think that was kind of tricky because at on one angle, like, I feel like I'm on one side of the coin, they're trying to get us to like and sympathize with these new recruits because mm-hmm. they're like Chuck. Mm-hmm. But they also don't want us to do that too much because they could get murdered mm-hmm. and we don't want to be upset when they're murdered. Uh-huh. But then at the same time, like the other characters not being as upset with their murders, they're not mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, these people are dead. Like, they just kind of are very blase about the whole thing, which kind of makes it feel very kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Um I really like the set design of like Power Outage Castle. I thought that was like kind of scary yes, and cool. I agree. And they did a good job with that. And they did a good job with like the explosions, but I didn't really care enough about the mystery itself or feel like this there were really any stakes involved. And I felt kind of weird about that because I'm like, oh, these people are dying. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like anyone really cares about it. Mm-hmm. Uh I guess I'm glad that Bentley and Chuck got their beef resolved, but mm. that also felt kind of forced and unearned. Like I was really concerned because when Bentley makes a sacrifice herself with the bomb i was like Mm. holy shit this episode is going in so many different directions now we're having like this weird kind of like hero sacrifice like you've earned my respect now i'm gonna kill myself because you demonstrated basic leadership abilities chuck um 
And then all of a sudden Bentley's just like, oh, I like Chuck now. It's, <laughs> even Devin was like pretty flat this episode. Yeah. He seemed like he was in kind of a weird uh, headspace. The more I think about it, the more I like actively dislike this episode. All right. So, yeah, I mean, it's a safe space for you to go down, too, if you want to go to 1.5. I don't know. I don't know if I, I've never gone that low before. But I mean, even like in the things that you were talking about with the Islamophobia, like and the fact that the character ends up becoming like a suicide bomber, mm-hmm. there are like the expectations that they're trying to subvert or like comment on being like, oh, it's bad. These characters are Islamophobic. Then the show's like, but we're kind of Islamic phobic too. <laughs> yeah. So it's not that like we can't really pass that much judgment on it. So it was just one of my least favorite episodes of Chuck. I think I would I've agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> not my favorite. So Chuck versus the murder. We would just like to murder the episode. <laughs> yeah. Can we murder the whole thing? <laughs> um, or maybe each other if we have to ever watch this episode again. Okay. Sounds uh, good. I'll make that act. So <laughs> suicide back uh, lesson of the week. Aaron, what did you learn this week? I learned that leaders don't care about what everyone thinks. So if you want to be a leader, just don't listen to anyone else. Don't care what they think of you. Just just do it. I feel like there's a molecule of truth in that. And then just so much more inaccuracy <laughs> in it. Like, don't. <laughs> such a bad idea. <laughs> Uh, this week I learned that, you know, it turns out murder mysteries don't really mesh well with college fraternity humor and Godfather inspired <laughs> mob illusions. Not a particularly good cocktail in my mind. That checks out to me. Sprinkle some, uh, you know, animal humor and uh, toilet humor in there just for good measure. And you got a real tasty episode of <laughs> something I never want to watch again. Uh, <laughs> not to say I don't want to watch Chuck again because I do want to watch the next episode. Yeah, we got to see what Vivian's up to. All right, so let's uh, make a pact to never watch this episode again. And, Sounds uh, good. But Skip Johnson's beard, great. That, yeah, Skip Johnson's beard. I should have married that, honestly. that was He was looking very good. Because I, I would say he's a pretty attractive guy, but like with mm. that beard, looks really good. So it's Volokov, David Duchovny, and Skip Johnson now. Yes, that's accurate. We saw Fernando. He was. We haven't we seen did. him in a we while, saw but him he's like in this episode three or four times. It's pretty prominent. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was an episode. That and, was an episode. <laughs> and next week, I'm sure we'll get to see what Vivian's up to. And uh, yeah, I just uh, <laughs> I'm I'm ready to be done. I'm okay with being done with this episode for now. Okay. I think I'm good to close the case. Case closed in my mind. Mystery solved. This episode, not the best. My name is Chris Gillespie reminding you that food is sexy. My name is Erin Arata letting you know that anything is possible. We all live in the Orange County. The Orange County. That's a really good song. I think we should maybe make that a thing. Yeah? Yeah. You think think I'm ready to transition to the song parody chapter of my life? Well, you do have the guitar now, so you could probably do it. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.